We wanted to use a decision tree model to try to develop a decision support model for clinicians to use to try to aid in the identification of patients who are going to be most likely to experience prolonged concussion symptoms. Welcome to the HAP MNR Journal Club, a podcast where we introduce you to thought leaders who are published in the American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. This is a show about practices, research, and education that are shaping the field of physiatry in inspiring ways. The Journal Club is brought to you by the Association of Academic Physiatrists, or AAP, an intimate and influential professional society that brings together leading minds at every career level. Physiatrists and professors, directors and med students, researchers and residents, this is your behind-the-scenes look at people and ideas that will influence your future. Your host is Dr. Eric Wasatsky, an AAP member with Georgetown University School of Medicine. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the AAP's Journal Club podcast. My name is Eric Wasatsky, coming to you from the MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have another great and really interesting episode for you today. I'd like to introduce you my co-host for today, who is Dr. Jared Astro. Dr. Astro is one of our PGY3, soon-to-be PGY4 residents with an interest in sports medicine. So our topic today, focused on concussions, uh, will be of particular interest to his future area of expertise. Dr. Astro, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be a part of this. Absolutely. I think we're going to have an interesting conversation. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce our guest authors today. We're going to be talking about their recently published article that is entitled, Two Symptoms to Triage Acute Concussions Using Decision Tree Modeling to Predict Prolonged Recovery Following Concussion. Uh, So first I'll introduce the lead author on the study, Dr. Michael Robinson, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the Fowler Kennedy Sports Medicine Clinic and an assistant professor at Western University in Ontario, Canada. Uh, Has a master's in athletic training, PhD in measurement and methods, uh, research focus on clinical assessment tools for concussions, and quite a lot of sports medicine involvement affiliated with a number of teams, the FC London League, Fanshawe Falcons Women's Soccer, Ontario Volleyball, the World Junior Ultimate Frisbee Championship, and the Run for the Toad Ultra Marathon. So, Dr. Robinson, you must have a lot of cool friends from all of that experience. It's a uh, ton of fun what I get to do in my non-academic time, for sure. There you go. I'm sure you got some great stories to tell. Well, thanks for being here. And I want to introduce one of your co-authors from the study who joins us today as well, Dr. Heather McKenzie, who is a consultant physiatrist in the Spinal Cord Injury and Brain Injury Rehab Programs at Parkwood Institute and an assistant professor at Western University School of Medicine and Dentistry, again in Ontario, Canada, completed her degree of medicine at the University of Toronto, residency in PM&R at Western University, uh, more recently a master's in epidemiology at Harvard, and her research focuses on mild TBI and concussion. So Dr. McKenzie, we appreciate you being with us today as well. Thanks so much for having us. Of course. Um, So we just want to start off for our audience, if they have not yet read your article, to kind of go over a brief summary. I'd love for you to just talk about what you were studying here, what your key findings were, and also explain really the key 
uh, research method here that you use, which is a decision tree, which I thought was a particularly interesting way of going about your work here and certainly applicable maybe to other uh, potential research questions. So I'd love for you to go over that with us today. Absolutely. So what we went out to do is we wanted to use a decision tree model, uh, which I'll explain a bit more in a, in a minute, uh, to try to develop a decision support model for clinicians to use to try to aid in the identification of patients who are going to be most likely to experience prolonged concussion symptoms. So what we did is we, uh, where I work at Fowler Kennedy, we've actually developed a clinical research data collection registry where all of our patients' data is de-identified and stored in a central database so that we can easily access components of it for research purposes. So we use that as our our prime source of information. Um, We did supplement it with some additional information from the Connect and Recover projects, uh, which are part of a project called BrainCode in Ontario. And we subjected it to this uh, machine learning algorithm that uses a decision tree to try to identify the variables that most influence the outcomes uh, that we identify. So we identified the outcome as uh, resolution of symptoms uh, less than 28 days or continued symptoms 28 days or further. And what it does is it develops this upside-down tree. And so the root's at the top, and it has these series of branches and leaves. And as the branches go and they split, this is what we call a node. And each node represents a single variable. And the direction on the node you go is influenced by the response obtained from the patient. And the final set of nodes, or the the leaves, or the terminal nodes, represent that final outcome and the probability that that outcome may occur. So it's, again, using this data-driven machine learning analysis, using the multiple clinical variables that uh, comprise the Sport Concussion Assessment Tool 5th Edition Symptom Evaluation, to determine the impact each one of the 22 symptoms has on that uh, dichotomous outcome of persistently symptomatic or resolution within uh, 28 days. Now, the way this model validates is it actually takes the data set and randomly splits it into, we used an unequal split. So it splits it into a training subset, which is the, a larger uh, set of the data, and a test set. And what it does is use the training set to actually go through all the possible uh, routes through the decision tree and then uses the test set to actually test the model to see if it actually is accurately predicting uh, what it's claiming to be. And we were successful with validating that and um, all our validation stats are available in the paper for it. So, Thanks for that summary. And, you know, I think a picture is worth a thousand words. So uh, certainly looking at the figures in your study uh, goes a long way, so I strongly recommend our audience open up this article to take a look at those figures and really hammer some of these key points home. I will pass this to Dr. Astro for our next set of questions. Great, thanks. In your study, you report that you used a population comprised mainly of individuals with sport-related concussion. I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on how the results might be different if other etiologies of concussion were included. 
Um, so myself and Dr. McKenzie were, are going to split this answer because uh, I'm going to give you sort of the, the technical clinical uh, utility question that we did include a small proportion of data from the emergency department setting. Um, this was to add some, uh, make the data set a little more robust, but it was a smaller set of that entire sample. Uh, but more importantly, the uh, decision tree requires the administration of the sport concussion assessment tool symptom evaluation, and this is primarily being used in that in the sport medicine practices. Yeah, so to build off of what uh, Dr. Robinson was just describing, to think about how the results might be different if we had included other sources of concussion, we certainly know from other sources of literature that the mechanism of injury is an important factor that influences recovery after concussion or mild traumatic brain injury. For example, we know that individuals who are injured in a motor vehicle collision, for example, tend to be at higher risk of experiencing persistent symptoms. So if we had conducted a decision tree analysis and generated a model based on a population of individuals with non-sport-related concussion due to other causes, you know, we may expect the identified predictors that appear to be different as well. And, you know, as Dr. Robinson already pointed out, it is relevant that the Sport Concussion Assessment Tool 5 symptom evaluation is a standardized tool designed for the use of assessing athletes. And when seeing non-sport-related concussion, healthcare professionals may be more likely to choose a different assessment tool like the Rivermead Post-Concussion Symptoms Questionnaire. And because of that, our decision tree findings may not generalize to settings where the SCAT-5 is not the tool commonly used to assess patients at the time of their first post-injury presentation. Okay, gotcha. Well, that information is, is helpful for us to convey to our patients those uh, kind of different decision trees, and, and certainly the one that you developed is certainly helpful, so I appreciate that. Another question I have is, did any of the athletes in the study have a medical history of any mental disorders like depression, anxiety, ADHD that may have affected their outcome measures of, you know, specifically feeling in a fog or sadness? So uh, we did actually do a chart review as part of that uh, process, and we did not actually find any evidence of any uh, documented learning disorder, uh, mood disorder, uh, depression, anxiety, anything in any of the subjects that were included in the data set. Because we don't have a documented history of those, we can then expect that the reports of these symptoms is likely due to the injury they sustained rather than a pre-existing condition. Okay, gotcha. That's helpful to know. Appreciate that. So, you know, one of the things you get at in your study is that a model like this might help with really resource management in a way. So, for example, if using a model like this is able to identify the subset of patients that's likely to get better pretty quickly, how might you imagine triaging or treating that particular type of patient who you think is going to get better, you know, especially from the standpoint of resource management? You know, would you potentially put less resources into that patient's care or, you know, how would you imagine taking care of that patient? Yeah, so I think that this decision tree probably has more important implications for the patients receiving care 
after they're identified as being at risk of a prolonged recovery, but certainly as well for those patients who are identified as being more likely to follow the expected trajectory of recovery. So for these people, I think it continues to be very appropriate to follow the existing guidelines that are laid out for concussion and mild traumatic brain injury. Specifically, it's recommended that these individuals receive education on the expected symptoms and expected outcomes following their injury. It would be very reasonable to recommend a gradual return to activity as tolerated and guided by their symptoms. And I think for these patients, it's very reasonable to counsel them that they're likely to experience a full recovery over the course of days and weeks uh, based on the fact that they were not identified as being at high risk using this type of a tool. Thank you. That makes perfect sense. I had another question for you guys. So for the emergency medicine physician or the sports medicine physician or whoever is treating and managing these concussions, what should the takeaway from this study be? And do you believe based on this study that physicians should alter the current management of athletes with concussions? Yeah, so I, you know, I think that this tool is something that may be implemented by sport medicine physicians or other primary care physicians seeing patients early after their sport-related concussion. Specifically, it could be used clinically to aid in that early identification of patients who are at risk of experiencing persistent symptoms or a prolonged course of recovery. And when these patients are identified as being at risk, their physician may elect to do things a little bit differently for them. For example, maybe their physician would elect to shorten the follow-up interval and see them sooner than they would have otherwise. Alternatively, you know, in the midst of a pandemic where we're administering a lot of virtual care, perhaps a physician may opt for an in-person follow-up assessment rather than a virtual one to keep a closer eye on the individual's progress. In addition, physicians may be able to use this information to provide more individualized counseling to the at-risk patients so that they're better prepared for what they can expect moving forward rather than following the uh, type of counseling that I described previously. For those patients, we expect to follow that normal trajectory of recovery. And importantly, physicians may also consider initiating an earlier referral to a specialized concussion clinic where they would have access to multidisciplinary rehabilitation services because perhaps earlier intervention with multidisciplinary rehabilitation can, in fact, alter the trajectory of recovery for these at-risk individuals. You know, this could be a potentially very challenging diagnosis at times, so it's really helpful insight that your models provided to you know, potentially stratify these patients on how to handle them in the future and for follow-ups. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this really seems like a perfect example of, you know, research that really could be put to immediate and very practical clinical use. So I definitely applaud you on that. You know, just as a bonus question, you know, I, I was particularly intrigued by your utilization of the decision tree in the study. You know, I know Dr. Robinson kind of talked about the process of a decision tree at the beginning of our discussion today, you know, it just seems like such a very simple but effective way to look at things. I mean, is this research tool something you're seeing uh, utilized more frequently, or uh, are there other potential future studies from your group in which you're maybe thinking of using uh, similar methods? Because it just seems to be a very, very effective research method. Yeah, with regard to the the actual use of decision tree modeling, um, I, I see that there is the potential for future use of 
uh, this type of modeling or some of the other types of parallel modeling that can be used in conjunction to add more rigor to those processes. I always do caution that it, it requires the process to be clinically driven, though, because if we just start looking at random variables, you may be starting to draw conclusions that aren't necessarily clinically relevant. Now, on the other side of it, uh, I'm, I'll let Dr. McKenzie tell you about our actual uh, study we're running right now, which is building on this study to do a more prospective approach. Um, Heather, if you want to maybe speak to that for a quick second or... Sure, of course. So, uh, Dr. Robinson and I are also collaborating on a uh, more prospective data collection project also aimed at developing a clinically relevant model that can be used by clinicians to identify patients early after their injury that are at high risk of experiencing a more prolonged course of recovery or persistent symptoms. Um, so for this study, we used um, retrospectively available data, as Dr. Robinson alluded to when he discussed the uh, database uh, being built through the Fowler-Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic, uh, but what's different about our current study is that we're collecting data prospectively, and um, we're going to have access to a much wider variety of variables than we were able to access retrospectively. Uh, so we think that the implications of the model that will develop from this are perhaps going to be, you know, even more robust and even more clinically relevant. So we're pretty excited to see what that study is going to demonstrate and how that might be able to aid clinicians in identifying at-risk patients and helping them access more uh, timely rehabilitation services in an effort to perhaps change the trajectory. Outstanding. Well, we're really looking forward to seeing the results of that work down the road. Uh, before you. we wrap up, Dr. McKenzie, Dr. Robinson, any uh, last comments you wanted to provide about your wonderful work here? I think we're both just um, really uh, happy to have been here today and had the opportunity to discuss our work with you and hope that clinicians do find this to be a clinically useful tool that they can use without a great deal of burden within their already busy clinical schedules to aid in helping their patients access the care that they need. I don't think I could have said that any better, Dr. McKenzie. Thank you. Yes, I agree with you. I certainly hope clinicians will find this something they can really incorporate into their practices because uh, the utility here is undeniable. So really congratulate you both on your work. Thank you to both of you, Dr. Heather McKenzie, Dr. Michael Robinson, uh, for joining us and sharing your great work with us today. Thanks to Dr. Astro for joining me as a co-host. Thank you all for listening and tuning in to our podcast today. We hope to see you all on future episodes. Take care.